if you have been here for the last kind of seven weeks, you'll know that we're in the middle of a series called Heaven at Hand. And the big idea of the series is that heaven and earth were never meant to be two separate places. So we read in the Bible that right at the beginning, God intended earth to feel like heaven, intended everything and our experience of life to be perfect. But as we read on in the story, we read that heaven and earth got torn apart, got torn in two. And then the rest of the Bible is the story of the people of God trying to bring heaven and earth back together again. And then Mark is the story of how Jesus completes this mission, how Jesus brings heaven and earth back together again. If you were here last week, you would know that I spoke about this idea that Jesus says that we as Christians are part of the solution. So it's not just about standing back, watching Jesus do his thing, bringing heaven and earth back together again and applauding him on the sidelines. He invites us into the same story and asks us to participate in doing exactly the same thing. So we're part of the solution. And then this week, we read in our chapter that religion is most definitely not part of the solution and needs to be totally rejected. I'm going to explain that in a second, but let's just read the first part of this passage. It says this, this is Mark 7. The Pharisees, who were just some of the religious leaders of the time and some of the teachers of the law, so this is about 2,000 years ago, first century Judaism, um, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, who was causing havoc, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, they were defiled. That is, Mark says, unwashed. And then he adds this little note, the Pharisees, so the first century Jewish people, all the Jews, did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come home from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. They observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles and things of that nature. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied to them this, Isaiah, who's one of the prophets who wrote this book in the Old Testament, which is the Jewish Torah, the book that they held on to as the words of God. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Hypocrites, as it is written, he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God. You're holding on to human traditions, he said. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Imagine that. Um, But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is instead korban, which basically means it's been put aside to devote to God, to be given to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. So essentially, you abandon your father and mother. It's like a clause in the law they use as an excuse not to look after their mum and dad. Thus, he says, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. You do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them, make them unclean by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he'd left the crowd and he entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he says, are you so stupid? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them for it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out the body. And then Mark adds this, he says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. 
He went on, what comes out of a person is what makes them unclean, for it's within, out of the person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. Welcome to church. What a lovely end to the passage. I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, About six years ago, I was ordained into the Anglican Church, which basically means I was um, prayed for by a bishop who's my boss and told that, you know, you can get on doing your job as leading the church. I'm satisfied that your training is adequate. And I came to the London Diocese, and as part of the London Diocese, getting ordained as a vicar means you have to go to St. Paul's Cathedral and stand up in front of 2,000 people and get ordained. So there were a number of problems with this as far as I was concerned. The first problem was that I had to wear a dress. Um, in fact, it was a bit more than a dress. It was like a black cassock, like hooded thing with a white bed sheet over the top and then a scarf over the top of that, which signified different things. And the issue I had with that was that we were given a grant. These things are so expensive, like they cost the earth. But you're given a grant to buy this stuff. I actually spent the grant on a holiday in Portugal um, instead. And so I had to borrow a friend's um, dress and bed sheet. And this friend I thought was the same height as me. Apart from when I put it on, it was clearly far too long. I often think of myself as taller than I am. And I ended up tripping up over this cassette the whole time. So I thought, I'll give myself a chance. I'll wear trainers. And I have to kind of hoik it up as I go. Second problem was it was an incredibly complicated service. Um, if any of you have ever um, been to an ordination, I'm so sorry about that. But you'll know that it's incredibly long and it's very complicated. And part of the process is you have to climb up these steps in front of 2,000 people. You go up to the bishop, you kneel, you get prayed for. And then crucial point after that, you have to go up to the archdeacon, who's his second in command and you have to shake his hand and then he does some magic with the scarf changes it around it basically symbolizes that you're ready for ministry now I remembered all this in my head and I rehearsed it in my head and I thought I'm going to get this just right but as I'm walking up the aisle with my dad who had to present me um, to the bishop I'm panicking about the road because I'm starting to trip over it I'm panicking about the whole process and when it finally got to my turn I was literally shaking in front of 2,000 people about to do this thing so I walk up the steps towards the bishop and I hoik it up and I let everyone see my trainers everybody's looking who is this joker getting ordained with trainers on I go up to the bishop, I kneel down, he blesses me, it all goes to plan. And then beaming, I stand up and I go up to the archdeacon and I reach my hand out to shake his hand and he literally looks through me in front of 2,000 people, just looks straight through me. And so I do the strange thing where you try and get eye contact from someone who's not shaking your hand. I'm going like this, nothing, absolutely nothing. And so I promise, I kid you not, in front of 2,000 people I did this like that, and just walked down off the steps. So embarrassing. I don't know why I did it. It just came into my head at the time. And I'm sitting there completely red-faced. And I asked, in the break, I actually went up to him. And to his credit, he was an amazing guy. He said to me, the thing is, there's a certain color of scarf that if you wear it, it means you're a part of a certain type of Anglicanism that doesn't recognize my authority as an archdeacon. And therefore, I can't shake your hand. Who knew? I had no idea. In front of 2,000 people, I found it out, I sat down, and that is religion. And that is a problem. And it's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. 
But of course, that's not the full story about religion, is it? Let's just acknowledge that a lot of good has been done in the name of religion. Our education system in this country, our health system, the art, the music, the architecture that we enjoy, our literature, our political thought, the social justice system, they're all what they are today because of religion's positive impact on them. And it's similar around the world, isn't it? Undeniably, great good has been done and continues to be done in the name of religion, the abolition of slavery, the civil rights movement, the Red Cross, the Red Crescent, and of course, Kanye West. All examples of religion's positive impact on the world we live in, not Kanye. But, although it is a good album, despite the good, it would be incredibly naive, wouldn't it, to suggest that um, and paint a wholly positive picture of religion, because the truth is not all is well in religion land. The self-interested nature of religion has often been expressed in religious wars, in bigoted attitudes, in the manipulation of historical events according to religious worldviews. As a direct consequence of religion, relationships between nations have been irreparably damaged. Cultures have been cleansed, families divided, lives controlled, abuse is excused, all in the name of religion. And when we talk about Jesus' mission to bring heaven and earth back together again, as it is supposed to be, it could be fair to say that religion does as much tearing apart as it does bringing together. And for those of us who aren't used to church, aren't used to Christianity, you might have come here to support Lily or Cliff, you'd be forgiven for thinking that religion at best is totally irrelevant. At worst, you'd be forgiven for thinking it's actually a force of bad and evil in the world. And this passage we've just read about Jesus talking to the religious authorities at the time highlights this exact issue that we still suffer from today. Religion, although intended for good, had become corrupt, it had become manipulative, and it was undermining the very essence of the Jewish faith, what the faith was all about. It was supposed to be about being a light to the nations. It was supposed to be about being a blessing to the other people, but instead it had become about walls and division and rules. And so before we get to what Jesus has to say, why don't we just consider the problem of religion? So the best way I've ever heard the problem of religion explained is in relation to a ladder, which I have a very nice example of here. Now, do I have a volunteer who's willing to climb to the top of the ladder? Um, You have to be okay with heights. Anyone? Come on, someone must be up for it. Yes, I hope you come, Ben. Good man. Let's give him a round of applause. Cheers, Ben. Mate, you climb to the top of that ladder. Lovely. So let's imagine that God is at the top of the ladder and go all the way up, mate. Um, This is his wife. It's his wife. Round of applause. They're brilliant. The, uh, The pool is there for safety. Don't worry about that. So you get to the top. So here's the heart of most religions, most religions in the world. If you fulfill these requirements, then you will become closer to God. Or if you fulfill these rules, then God will be pleased with you. Tends to be the heart of most world religions. So God's at the top, and here's someone doing particularly well. Now here's somebody who's just starting out on their religious journey, and they see God at the top, and they get the readings or the teaching of any religion, and they try their best to fulfill the requirements to get close to God, which by the way, all religions 
Christians say the meaning or the purpose of life is to be close to God. And therefore, if you're close to God or if you reach some sort of transcendence as being like God, then you fulfill meaning and you have purpose and you have happiness in your life. And so religions say, do certain things in order to be able to get close to God. So thing number one might be, make sure you wash your hands before you have a meal. That's rule number one. You can get your up your ladder towards God. Second thing, make sure that you read this certain text every day to learn from it. Make sure that you pray. Make sure that when you have the opportunity to stab a work colleague in the back so as to get on in life, you don't take it and you get a rudder, another ladder um, rung up. And make sure that when you argue with your wife, even though you are 100% right in the situation, you say sorry anyway. Just say sorry. Make sure that when you're with your kids and you want to throw them out of the window and you don't shout at them and release on them, but instead you give them a hug, you get another rung up the ladder, stop swearing, get even closer. Now, here's the problem. Actually, I'm getting down one. That's far too high. This feels really unsafe. Here's the problem with religion. The problem with religion is this, that no matter how well you fulfill the requirements of religion, there's always someone else higher up the ladder doing better than you. And what does that make you feel like? It makes you feel like a failure. It makes you feel like God is always out of reach. You're trying your best to get there, to get into transcendence, to get closer to the presence of God, but it seems always out of reach. And as a result, you feel like a failure, you feel shame, you feel guilt, and there's always someone higher up who's looking down on you. First problem with religion. Second problem with religion. I need another volunteer. You don't have to go high. Danny, come come up. Let's give Danny a round of applause. Here's Danny at the bottom. Just stand at the bottom, mate. I'm going to pick on Danny because he's leaving us. So when you are caught up in this ladder of religion, you're trying to get yourself to the top. Here's the really, really, really sad thing about the religion. This is the worst thing about it. Is there's always someone else lower down on the ladder. And you can always look down at that person lower down on the ladder and say, yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm not able to fulfill all these requirements, but at least I'm not as bad as Danny. Look at Danny. Look at him down there. And what that does is it creates this slippery slope in the heart of the religious. And it causes division. And it causes oppression. And it causes us to look down on other people. And if we're honest, as we look throughout history, it causes war. And it causes conflict. And it causes us to put up walls around everything that we believe in. Because we hold to the truth and to the act of religion as opposed to anything else. And so as a result, this guy feels ashamed. This guy feels guilty. And nobody is happy. Let's give these guys a round of applause. You can stay up there if you want, mate. Religion, no matter how we spin it, at its core has this fundamental problem. There's always going to be someone higher up the ladder making us feel inadequate, making us feel ashamed, making us feel guilty. There'll always be someone below on the ladder that we can judge and look down on and belittle. So at its core, religion has a fundamental problem. So what's the problem at the heart of things? Well, here's what Jesus says about the problem. He agrees that... There is a problem, first off. He agrees with the religious people. In fact, you only need to look at the mess that the world is in in order to be able to see that there's a problem. And in fact, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we only really need to look at our own lives, our own thoughts, our own relationships to see that everything is not perfect, that heaven and earth aren't the same place, that things aren't as they were supposed to be. There is a problem. 
But the thing about Jesus is he disagrees about the source and of where that problem is coming from. This is what he says in verse 18. He says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters from outside can make a person unclean? Similarly, he's saying no rule that you fulfill on the outside can make you clean and better in the eyes of God. For it doesn't go into the heart, but into the stomach and out of the body. And then he says this, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of the person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Here's the point. Religion, no matter how hard we try to solve that problem in our own strength, the problem of distance from God, the problem of these things that separate us from him and from other people and the problems that we experience in the world, no matter how hard we try to do that in our own strength, we're always going to end up falling short. It's always going to seem like we can't get to the heart of the problem. Why? Because Jesus says the heart of the problem is us. We're the problem. We know this because we see it in every area of life. And the thing is, you don't need to be religious or have religion or even believe in God to see this problem outworked in the world. You can put whatever you want at that top of that ladder. It doesn't have to be God. It can be money. It can be power. It can be fame. It can be influence. It can be sex. It can be relationships. You get the point. If you put that at the top, then you will find there will always be people above you, further down the line, making you feel guilty and shameful and you're comparing yourself to so that you feel inadequate. There will always be people below you. So then Jesus says, here's some of the things, just to illustrate the point, and it's a little bit uncomfortable to read it. Here's some of the things that come out of the human heart, he says. And he doesn't say this to judge. He's basically just acknowledging the reality of the situation. Because sometimes, so often, I don't know about you, but you can be surprised at some of the dark thoughts that come from within. Here's some of them that he talks about. He says, Um, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, all these come from within side. They don't come from outside. And can you see how religion actually makes this problem worse? Because in a world in which religion is God, it's going to be full of envy. It's going to be full of arrogance. It's going to be full of malice. That's why religion is never attractive to those who aren't following the religion, because it's full of that stuff. See how money makes the problem worse. A world in which capitalism is God is full of greed. It's full of theft. It's full of poverty. See how sex makes the problem worse. A world in which satisfaction of lust is God is dominated by the porn industry, the objectification of women, trafficking, sexual immorality. See how fame and power make the problem worse. A world in which fame and power are God is a world led by power-hungry narcissists. Anyone recognize that? And it's full of deceit and arrogance and stupidity. No matter how hard we try and do it, we can't ever seem to get to the heart of the problem because the heart of the problem is us. So what is the solution? Well, here's Jesus's solution. And the truth is we haven't got to this bit in Mark's gospel. We will as we continue on after Christmas. But the clue is in this little editorial comment that Mark makes in this chapter. So Jesus is highlighting the hypocrisy amongst the religious leaders, that they try and tick all of these boxes, but at the heart of things, they're hypocrites. They're actually doing it so as to exercise control and manipulate their followers. And he highlights that, and then Mark says this in relation to him saying, it's what comes from within that makes you unclean, not outside. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, why is that relevant to what we're talking about? 
Well, it's significant because Jesus uses the religious law so as to point to a far greater solution rather than totally undermining it. You see, when Jesus talks about religion, he doesn't say religion is absolutely pointless. He agrees that there's a problem. And the point of religion is it's kind of a sticking plaster over the problem so that people can get closer to God. Because the idea is that in order to get close to God, there's going to need to be parts of us that aren't compatible with a good and perfect God that need to be dealt with in order to be able to have the closest relationship possible. And religion was invented so as to be a way of trying to solve that problem. But Jesus says in the same way that it fails and it undermines what we're trying to do and it creates hypocrites and control and manipulation, here's what I'm going to do now. I'm not going to do away with all that. I'm not going to say you shouldn't have been following that and that was pointless. Instead, I'm going to say this. I am going to fulfill the very thing that you've been trying to do for all these centuries. To a certain extent, Jesus is agreeing with them and he's declaring, as of now, all foods are clean and he's pointing towards what he is about to do on the cross later on in Mark. So what does he do on the cross to try and solve this problem? Well, let's imagine, top of the ladder, there's God and we, as part of humanity, have this innate desire to be close to God. We are created with this hole inside of us that can only really be filled with the presence of God. And in religion, we try and get there. Through other means, we try and get there. This is what Christianity says the Christian God does. God makes himself human form, and he comes down the ladder to us. And so imagine us. Here's me, humanity, fully alive wanting to relate to God to top of the ladder, but unfortunately there's stuff in our life that prevents us from being close to God. And imagine this is Jesus. Here's Jesus on the other side, also fully human, but exhibiting none of that stuff that causes distance between us and God. And here's what happens on the cross. Everything that separates us from God is taken upon Jesus, and he deals with the shame of it. And he takes it upon himself and he deals with the power of it. And everything that separates us from God is dealt with by Jesus on the cross, leaving us free to enjoy the most life-giving, the most life-sustaining relationship with him. This is how this bloke Titus puts it in the Bible. He says this, Titus 3. At one time, we were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. All these things that Jesus was talking about. We lived in malice and envy. We were hated and we hated one another. But when, and this is Jesus coming down the ladder, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done. Not because of rules that we can tick, religious things that we can do to get to and close to him, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by grace, a gift, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Notice with Lillian Cliff's testimonies that it wasn't they kind of came to church and thought, I really need to make a change in my life. I really need to do something. And then they came to church and they were like, okay, just tell me what I need to do in order to be able to feel better about my life. Notice how in each of their testimonies, it felt like God was coming after them. It feels like God is chasing after them. Why? So as to show them that he loves them, that he wants a relationship with them, that they can have fullness of life in him. 
And the offer is exactly the same for all of us. This is what Jesus says in Revelation. He says, here I am. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with that person and they with me. This is the huge difference between religion and Christianity. Because in Christianity, Jesus comes in search of us and we can come into his presence just as we are and enjoy the most intimate, loving relationship with him. How do we respond? Well, the point is we just open the door. It's not by fulfilling rules, not by fulfilling regulations. We hear the knock of Jesus. We open the door to his grace and he comes in and he fills our life with his love. Why don't we stand?